Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Judges chapter 6 tonight. We're in our fifth study of our series, The Art of Hearing God. We'll have tonight's study and then one more week um, in this and then we'll move on. Uh, as we do tonight, we're in Judges 6, and the, the title of the message tonight is Recognizing um, Providence. One of the uh, great kind of anomalies or puzzles that, that exist in, in the Christian world or for the Christian is the great chasm that, that exists between the intellectual powers and the spiritual voice. That is, uh, our, our um, dependence or our ability to reason things out in our mind uh, in relationship with the, the physical and tangible world that we live in and, and having at the same time this invisible, intangible, spiritual realm that, that God exists in and trying to reconcile an existence in both of those things at the same time. You know, and, and sometimes it seems like it can't be done. Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, he kind of addresses this tension and he says it this way. He says that while we look at the things, we look not rather at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And, and right there you have a puzzle because how do you look at something that's not seen? It requires a different type of vision. He says for, he defines it, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so he acknowledges that there is a tangible realm of things that are temporary, but there's also an eternal realm of things that are invisible, and we can't see those things. And we are called to kind of live in, in this, this tension. Now, just a few verses down from that in chapter 5, same book, verse 7, Paul says this to us in, in terms of instructions. He says, for we walk as, as believers by faith and not by sight. And that really defines the tension is that there's a faith life. It's the, just the sense of humor of God that we have to be talking about faith and fun and fellowship. <laughs> but, but we are. <laughs> that there's this faith life of things that we can't see. But then there's also this tangible existence that we do uh, exist within. Now, there's this tension almost that exists between the two because they are so contrary. It almost seems that you can't live in both realms, that you're either at any given time walking by faith or you're walking by sight in the tangible, the physical, that you cannot have both. And we see this tension all throughout Scripture. Oftentimes, we see faith expressed in the people of God apart from sight. And so you look at the life of Abraham. He, he didn't see miracles until Isaac was born. He walked with God for 25 years completely by faith. And it says that he believed in the Lord and that it was counted to him for righteousness, even though he didn't see with his physical eyes, he knew in his spirit and it provoked faith within him, and he had faith without sight. We see it all throughout. You see, when David went against Goliath, he had no physical evidence that he was going to be able to be victorious in that, but there was something on the inside, there was a faith that was there, 
wherein he knew without having seen anything, without having a sign, without any tangible evidence that it was going to happen, he had faith that he knew Goliath was going to fall. And the very definition of faith given to us, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says that faith is, here's the definition, the evidence of things, I'm sorry, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so it's not seen if it's faith. Now, ironically, when you look in the Bible at people that did see miraculous things, they struggled with faith. They believed the least. I mean, think about the children of Israel and all that they saw. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw manna appear on the ground every day. They saw the earth open its mouth and swallow up 24,000 men. They saw water come out of a rock. They saw a staff turn into a serpent and then back into a staff again. They watched the water turn into blood. I mean, the amount of miracles that they saw is unparalleled by anybody else. And yet when God said, now go in and take the land I've given it to you, they said, no, 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 we don't believe. They saw, but it didn't produce faith. And it seems that the people in the Bible that saw the most believed the least. It's interesting that sometimes seeing can actually be an obstacle to believing. Think about the ministry of Jesus. In the ministry of Jesus, who didn't believe? It was the people that saw the miracles. Even his disciples, they saw him multiply the loaves and the fishes. And yet when they were in the, the, the boat and Jesus started talking about bread, they started going, oh no, you didn't bring the bread? And Jesus looked at them and he said, look, guys, w- when we had a few loaves and 5,000 people, how much did we end up with at the end? And they said, 12 baskets. And, and then the other, and he said, what are you worried about bread for? And it says that they didn't even believe the things that he was saying. The religious people that Jesus was trying to reach, they saw the signs, the eyes of the blind being opened, the lepers being cleansed, the dead being raised, and yet they that saw didn't believe. And there's this thing inside of us that when we see something miraculous or outside of the ordinary, it almost turns on the skeptic inside of us. But faith is altogether different. Faith in its most genuine sense doesn't require sight. It's something that comes from the inside and there's an assurance that's placed there by God that doesn't require anything that needs to be seen. It doesn't need it. Now, the reason why this matters is because we serve a God who is invisible and intangible, but yet we live in a realm that trusts in and relates to what is physical and what is tangible. And thus, there is this middle distance, somewhere between the tangible and the spiritual, where God wants to get a hold of us. And what God has done is that he has provided a way wherein we can prove, at least for the most part, that what we're hearing in our spirit is from him even when we're unsure or we lack the confidence that he's really speaking to us. And that is called providence. So providence really is the bridge that crosses between the spiritual and the physical and that inspires faith. And so the definition of providence is this. I want you to just listen to it. And this this isn't from any dictionary. This is just stringing Bible truth together. But basically it's God orchestrating circumstances and events 
that happen around us that harmonize with what's going on inside of us in order to build faith that will energize us to move or to respond. So it's God using the things that are happening in our everyday life that harmonize with what we sense in our spirit he is stirring up inside of us. And he does it in such a way that it inspires or energizes us to move in the direction that he is calling us to go in. It's called providence. Now, what I find is that this is the way that God speaks most often, is through this avenue of providence. I believe also that it is the most relational way that God speaks to us. I think it's his favorite way to talk to us because it's, it's the way that he talks to us that we're actually walking with him. There's an interaction between us and God as we're going. See, if God always just spoke to us in a way we're in, like, you know, we're in the morning and God just says, today, this is what's going to happen. This is what I want you to do. We would say, okay, God, thanks. And we would just get on with our day and things would unfold or we would walk in what we heard God tell us in that morning. But with providence, what happens is that God is constantly orchestrating circumstances and he's weaving his fingerprints and his presence into the actions of what we're going through at any given moment and rather than telling us and then discharging us we sense that he's actually walking with us and that we're being led by him through our daily experiences and so he's communicating with us in the moment by moment in this arena called providence now interestingly this is the way that jesus taught us to pray he didn't say when when he said his disciples said lord teach us to pray he didn't say say when you pray father speak to me today but what he did tell us to pray it's matthew chapter 6 he said lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil that's part of it right now we 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 kind of are accustomed to saying that so fast that we just say lead us not into temptation no no it's it's lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And what Jesus is saying is that part of our daily prayer is that, God, would you lead us through the day? Would we sense as we're going through our responsibilities and the things that are before us that you're with us and we're seeing your hand leading us through? It's this whole concept of God communicating to us through providence. And so I want to share with you from Judges chapter 6 an example of how God used providence in a situation and and i want you to see in this text the tension that exists between the miraculous and faith the tangible and the spiritual the visible and the invisible because you'll see that it's very much there so if you would um we're going to look at at some verses we'll bounce around a little bit but we'll begin at the beginning of chapter six watch this Uh, It tells us, verse 1, it says that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And so the period is the period of time of the judges. There was no king in Israel. And the whole 400 years was an up and down roller coaster where the people were on again and off again with God. They would serve him for a while. They would become complacent. They would turn from God. God would raise up an enemy to get their attention. 
He would get their attention. They would call on him. He would raise up a leader who the Bible calls judges. And that judge would lead the people back into a right relationship with God. They would serve him for a while. And then they would wash, rinse, repeat. And the cycle would go for a period of about 400 years. Well, in the beginning of the chapter, they're in a valley cycle. And so an enemy is raised up by God. And basically, this is the Saudis. This is who the Midianites are back in those days. They weren't called the Saudis then. They were called the Midianites then. But God raised them up. And it says in verse 2 that the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens, which were in the mountains, and caves, and the strongholds. So basically, they dug holes in the mountains, holes in the grounds, and they hid themselves however they could in order to survive this oppression. And so it was that when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till you come unto Gaza, and here's the result, they left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, And they came as grasshoppers for multitude, so their strength was in their numbers. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to destroy it. And so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And so basically what happens is that this massive numerous people come in and they ransack the land and and their strength is purely in their numbers they they don't have anything really sophisticated they don't have tanks they don't have nuclear bombs they just have employees that's all they've got hundreds of thousands of people and the sheer numbers of them are so overwhelming that the oppression is such that the people have to dig themselves into a hole just in order to survive and every time They make a little bit of a profit. The Midianites find out about it, and they figure out a way to take it from them. And so it's kind of very much like, you know, some of the things that we see going on in the world today. Maybe maybe just today's means of of oppressing people is a little bit different. And so, you you know, the Midianites, they come in, and they create an education system that is, is so sophisticated... And it is so ingrained in people's hearts that unless they live and are dependent upon this education system, they're never going to have any choice or chance of surviving in the world. And so they go through this and they're told that you've got to spend $200,000 on an education just so that you can survive on the other side of it. And so people start in a hole. They've dug themselves already into a hole before they even get started. And they spend the first half of their working life trying to get out of the hole. And then as soon as they do, their lives have become so complicated by the other mechanisms that have been put in place that they spend the second half of their life trying to either get out of a hole. And they're living in a den when they could be living in a field. And that was the type of thing that was going on in Israel within these days. They were crushed under the weight of it. And so finally, God gets their attention and they call out on the Lord because they realize that God is the only one strong enough to deliver them from the strength of this enemy. And so in verses uh, 7 through 10, 
God sends a prophet who is now going to tell the people what their sin is and why they're going through this. He says, listen, this is happening to you because of your rebellion against the Lord. Now, verse 11, it says that there came an angel of the Lord and he sat under an oak, which is an Ophrah that pertained unto Joash, the Abizarite. And his son, Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, you don't thresh wheat in a winepress. You thresh wheat on a threshing floor. Problem is, threshing floor is on the top of the hill out in the open, and the Midianites would just come and take everything. And so we see a guy who's just grinding it out and trying to survive, hiding from the Midianites there. And it says in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, I love this. Gideon's reply. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Now, here's an amazing thing we're going to find out is that Gideon doesn't know that this is an angel of the Lord. That's going to become clear later on in the text. And so God comes and he visits Gideon here and he does it in a way wherein Gideon has no idea at all that it's God. You know, sometimes, sometimes we don't recognize God because God comes to us and he speaks to us through the voice of a human being. And sometimes we miss it because we're not looking for him or we're not expecting from him. But I find that God oftentimes hides his divinity in familiarity. Things that we're familiar with that are going on around us all the time. Now, what the Lord says to Gideon here is something that's completely contrary to everything that Gideon is experiencing. And so, first of all, the Lord says to him, you're a mighty man of valor. Now, what's Gideon doing at the moment he's being called mighty? He's hiding. He doesn't feel mighty at all. I mean, this is so contrary to what's going on inside of him. And then the second thing he says is that the Lord is with you. Now, Gideon takes a step back and he listens to what this stranger that he's never met before has said to him. And he says what you and I might say. He, might, he says, listen, okay, if God is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that we've heard that he did for our fathers? Where is God if he is for us in the middle of all of this? That's a good question. And maybe you've been in a situation. Maybe you are in a situation where God is saying you're hearing Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, every time you turn on the radio or you read your Bible and you read the Psalms and you're hearing the word of God telling you that God is with you. But there's something going on in your experience wherein you're saying, okay, well, if God is with me, then why are things so contrary to what it seems like it should be like if God was actually with me? Now, what's amazing to me here in this is that God doesn't actually answer the question. He doesn't even explain himself because God doesn't have to ever explain himself. God's explanation to our questions is that he is good. That's his explanation. God's explanation to us in our questionings is that he is faithful and he doesn't apologize for the things that he allows to take place within our lives. 
He doesn't explain himself to Gideon, but what he does do is this. It says in verse 14 that the Lord looked upon him and said, Go, in this your might, and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? God says, if you're going to wait here until I give you answers, then that's all you're ever going to do is wait here until you get your answers, because I'm not going to give you any answers. But if you want to see a solution, and if you want to be part of the solution, then get up from where you are and keep going and let me use your life in a way that's going to impact you and the people that are around you. See, sometimes God doesn't give answers. Sometimes God gives instructions, and he gives us the choice of whether or not we're going to stand up from where we are, trust him in spite of what we're feeling or seeing, and keep on moving forward. So God says to Gideon, you're to go. And so Gideon says in verse 15, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you will smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in your sight. Now here's his mistake. Are you ready for it? Here's Gideon's mistake in verse 17. He says, If. Now I have found, listen, God is talking to you face to face. You have found grace in his sight. Cut and run. Say, okay, watch. He says, then show me a sign that you talk with me. If I'm to believe what you're saying to me, I want to see something in the tangible. That was his mistake. And you know why it was a mistake? Because God's going to do it and it's going to throw everything off. So Gideon tells God, we'll paraphrase for a moment. Gideon says to God, he says, wait here. Don't ever tell God to wait here. But God does it. He says, wait here. And Gideon goes and he grabs a goat and he gets some things and he comes back and he brings the sacrifice and he says, show me a sign. And God says, okay, I'm going to show you a sign. And so all of a sudden the angel does something and kind of fire either comes down from heaven or rises up from within the rock and it consumes this sacrifice. And then as soon as this consuming happens, the angel of the Lord disappears out from the sight of Gideon. Now that's a pretty remarkable sign, isn't it? I mean, you just watched fire spontaneously combust a creature And then you saw this man who's talking to you just disappear. You're like, oh my goodness. Now, you would think that Gideon's response would be, wow, this was legit. I'm going to deliver Israel. Do you know what his response was? It tells us there in verse 22, his response. It says that Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Gideon said, alas, that's not the right response. (laughs) That's it. Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. That's his whole thing. He doesn't say, now I believe. He doesn't say, that settles it. Let's get this done. Let's move forward. Let's do something. He just says, alas, I saw a sign. I had an experience. I saw a sign. Well, the story unfolds. And Gideon in fear does a couple of things that move him in the right direction. And it tells us down in verse 34 of the same chapter, it says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abiezar was gathered after him. And he sent out messengers throughout all Manasseh who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali and they came up to meet him. So he, he sends out these messages. All the people come and Gideon, all of a sudden he's standing there and he's got all of the men of Israel standing in front of him saying, okay, what's the plan? What are we going to do? And, and you know what's amazing about Gideon now at this point? 
is that he still doesn't believe that God is going to use his life. He still doesn't believe in the calling that God has. And so he does this thing that many of us have probably heard of before. Watch this, verse 36. It says, that Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, then behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and if be dry upon all the earth beside, then will I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. You guys ever heard the phrase before, I'm going to lay a fleece out before the Lord? Well, this is where that comes from. Gideon basically says, okay, God, I know that you spoke to me and I know that you performed a miracle, but I'm having trouble believing that this is actually real. And so one sign wasn't quite enough for me. I need a second sign. And so he says, I'm going to lay out this fleece on the ground and I'm going to go to bed. And when I wake up in the morning, let it happen that there's dew on this fleece, but the ground is dry. And if I wake up in the morning and that's what I see, then I'll believe. And so he goes to sleep. He wakes up in the morning. The fleece is wet. The ground is crisp, totally dry. The grass is crunching under his feet. And Gideon says, all right, God, I know this is so freaky. I can't believe this is happening. I mean, this is exactly what I prayed for. But God, I'm just not sure yet. I'm just not sure yet. I just don't know. God, just so I can be completely sure that this is you, let's do this one more time, and this time, switch it up. So this time, I'm going to sleep, and when I wake up in the morning, the ground is going to be wet. My socks, my shoes are going to be soaked, but the fleece is going to be completely dry. Then I'll believe you when that miracle happens. So God goes, oh, my goodness, Do you know how people pray to be used by me? (laughs) And here I'm giving you, okay, all right. God says, my gifts and my calling are the out repentance. I said I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. God does what Gideon asked for. This is the third sign now that Gideon is getting. He wakes up in the morning. God has done according to his prayer. And Gideon goes, wow, this is crazy. Somebody pinch me. Is this really a dream? He still doesn't believe. So Gideon counts, he goes, I got 32,000 men. God speaks to Gideon. He says, Gideon, I'm so glad you got 32,000 men in your endeavor to face 110,000. But that's way too many for me to, to defeat the Midianites with. If I, if I give you victory with 32,000 men, you're going to get the glory and not me. And so what I want you to do is I want you to do other than he whispers in his ear and he says in this, and he says, most of the people are going to go home. He goes, but that's okay, that's of me. And so Gideon does it. And all but 9,000 people go home. And Gideon's left with 9,000. He's got 9,000. He's going to go against 110,000. God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, one problem. I've given you three miracles. And you've got 9,000 people. And it's just too many. I'm not going to get glory if I win the battle with 9,000. He says, here's what I want you to do. He whispers the area. He wants you to do this. He says, a lot of people are going to go home. But it's okay. I'm still in this. And so Gideon does it. 8,700 people go home. There's 300 left. And God goes, good, that's good. I can do this now. Now, if you win the battle, 300 people versus 110,000, now I'll get some glory when the battle uh, is ensued. So now Gideon, who is already struggling with faith, already full of doubt, already unsure of himself, completely insecure in the call of God. He's pacing back and forth going, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe all these people are looking at me. I feel like, you know, whatever. He still doesn't believe in the Lord. 
Now, I want you to see how God brings assurance to Gideon's heart. Because it didn't come from a miracle. It came through providence. Watch. Chapter 7, verse 9. It says this. It says that it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him. And so the first thing you want to mark is the word of God. The word of God came to him. God was speaking something to Gideon. And here's what he said. Arise and get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you fear to go down, then go with Fura. This is just funny. The angels are laughing right now at this speech thing. Thy servant down to the host, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward shall your hands be strengthened to go down into the host. And so God basically says this. He says, look, I've given you three miracles, and those miracles have not provided you any assurance. But he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the village, sneak in at night, and I want you to hear something being spoken of you by the Midianite enemy. And when you hear what they say, that's going to help you. So Gideon says, all right. He goes down with Fura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the verse 12 says that the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, probably has a hood over his head. Nobody knows exactly who it is that's walking there. There's a whole host of people. It says, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his friend. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, in my dream, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. Now, I've heard some strange dreams before, okay? But I, and then this is Bible text. Maybe you've read this before, and so you just kind of read over it like it's a dream. We're headed towards the epic climax of a battle and the whole thing. But really, he just said, I had a dream, and it was so vivid. It was so vivid. His friend's like, what? What was the dream? He goes, you're not going to believe this. He goes, but I was standing there, and there was this hill. And there was a loaf of barley bread. And it started rolling down the hill. His friend's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me. And it rolled and rolled and rolled. And it rolled and rolled and rolled. It's coming. And it's gaining speed. And it just, it collided with a tent. Yeah, yeah. And the tent fell. Watch this. Sometimes. Sometimes you just know God is in it because of how crazy it is. In verse 14, it said, And his friend answered and said, Oh, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the host. I don't know how you get one from the other. Like, that's a big bridge, Right? You know, now you gotta wonder, like, what is Gideon thinking here in the middle of all this? He's like, a loaf of bread? God, really? A loaf of bread? You know, that's all I am is a is a is a barley loaf. But on the other hand, he's thinking, oh my word, like this is legit. And something happens. Watch this. Something happens when something that God had been speaking to Gideon 
now unfolds in the circumstances of life that he's walking through in the overhearing of a conversation and watch the result of it in verse 15. It says that it was so that when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, when he walks through the circumstance in his daily life and the interpretation of it, that he worshiped and he returned into the host of Israel and he said, arise for the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Now you believe? I mean, he saw three miracles and it produced no faith. But when he sees the hand of the Lord confirming in his daily circumstance the thing that he's hearing and experiencing in his heart, the call that God has placed within him, it encourages faith and it provokes action. He finally believes, not because of the sign, but because of the providence of God walking with him in the moment-by-moment experience. The word of God, plus the experience of life, plus the contemplation that connects the two things together, resulted in faith unto action, a movement. That's an amazing and remarkable thing. It's called providence. And we see it all the way throughout the Bible, the way God doesn't want to just tell us something and then withdraw, but that God wants to impart something to us walk with us through it, show us in the process that he's with us, and build up our faith that we might walk in his calling and within his plan. There are so many times in the Bible that it happens. I wanted to give you many examples, but I'm learning how to be a little bit more brief with my Bible studies, especially tonight, you know. But you can read Jeremiah chapter 32, amazing illustration of providence where God spoke to Jeremiah and then confirmed it with the circumstances that happened in his life. You can read in the book of Acts, chapter 16, you can read about the Apostle Paul and how God led him circumstantially through and and, and, and turned vision into reality through providence and through trying and knocking on doors and seeing things come down. It happens all the time within our lives. There was a time, um, I'm going back, probably about 2003, so about 16 years ago. It was when we first um, moved down into this area. We moved from Rochester down here. Um, I was a highly ambitious young man. I wanted to serve God. And I moved down here because there was such a vast population of people and there weren't very many, uh, it seemed, thriving churches. You know, So I thought, well, let's go somewhere where there's just lots of people and let's see what God might do. Now, I was not in any place ready or prepared uh, for that kind of a thing, but I was extremely zealous and I had a lot of energy like most people uh, that age do. And so we moved and we lived in Brewster at the time. And, you know, I'd started this tiny little Bible study. There was just a very small handful, less than one hand to count the amount of people. But I was ready to run, you know, and I was certain. And so there was this, um, there was this building right on the corner of the little town where we lived. 
And there was this thing in the window, it said for rent. And so I, I stopped there and I went in and it was perfectly laid out for a church. And it was in the best location. It was quaint. It was rustic. It was clean. It was beautiful. And, and I thought this would be so amazing. And so I talked to the landlord who had an office in the other side of the building. And, and, I, and I told him what I wanted to do. And I made a deal with him. I said, if I can give you this much money for six months, will you, will you rent it to me? And he said, he said, yeah, I'll do that. But then after that, it's going to go up. And I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, that, that, you know the whole thing. And so I, I only had one problem. I had no money, none. Not even enough to give one month of a thing. But I thought, here's this amazing opportunity. Now, everything I tried to do to come up with the money failed. There was nothing. And the spring was there. It was early spring. And it was one of those warm days where you get like 70 degrees in like March and I I'd just moved down, and so I had this old motorcycle that someone had given to me. And I just brought it down, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for uh, a motorcycle ride. I don't have the thing registered yet. I don't have it insured, but I'm here on these back streets. It really won't matter. It's just a warm day. It's just a little bit of a cruise, you know. And so I, I go out, and I, I'm riding, and I'm kind of like in the back streets right over the border in Connecticut. And I'm obsessing in my mind of how I can come up with the money to rent this building so that we can maybe try to plant this little church. And so I'm obsessing about it. I'm going, well, I could borrow it. I could ask this person. I could do, you could write letters. I could, you know, and I'm going through all of these gymnastics. And while I'm going, I'm following this little PT cruiser that had the logo of Century 21 Real Estate all over it. You know, I even remember the agent's name. I don't want to tell you what it is in case you know her or she's listening or something like that. You know, but, but I'm following this thing up. And, and as we're coming up, I think it was Route 39 coming out of Danbury. And I lived right over there off of that, just over the border in New York. We're coming up, and, and, and she slowed down at a left-hand turn as though she was going to turn, but she didn't turn on her turn signal. And so she slows down, and I kind of make the move to pass on the right, which is a legal move. But at the last minute, she hooks a right-hand turn into the driveway that was adjacent to the, to the left-hand turn, and I crashed right into the side of her, of her car. Left a big old dent in the whole thing. I fell. You know, I didn't get hurt. Didn't wreck my bike, but I left a big old dent, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm not registered, I'm not insured, and I just damaged this lady's vehicle, and I don't have a dime. And I was scared. I'm like, this is the kind of thing you go to jail for. You know, you're driving without insurance. You know, the whole thing. I was scared. And so I, I just, like, I apologized, you know, the whole thing. I was embarrassed. You know, it's humiliated, the whole thing. And it was just a rough night. I remember I didn't sleep much that night at all. Well, the next day, temperature drops again. I get in my, my little truck to go to work, and I stop in at the gas station in the morning to, to, to fuel up before I drive down to Westchester. And as I'm there, I'm, I'm so upset, and I just said, I said, Lord, why is this happening? I said, why are you doing this? And he said, and it wasn't audible. It came out of the same speaker that my thoughts come out of in my own head, but it was this fast. He said this. He said, don't try to go around me concerning real estate when I don't signal because you don't have insurance. And I said, I get it. I get the message. I know exactly. what." Now, that was a lesson that stayed with me forever from that time is that you don't go ahead of God when he doesn't signal. 
because then you get yourself into trouble. You know, it was an amazing thing. And, and it just changed the whole course. Now, he provided for me to pay for the repairs on this lady's vehicle. And it was like there was no issue. Everything kind of just went away. But it was the providence of God. It was him using something right there at the time. And it made me know that he was with me in spite of what I was going through. It happens so many times. There was a, a, um, a moment, this is probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. And um, my kids were upstate with my in-laws. Both my wife and I were down here, and I can't remember why, but they had our vehicle. They had our, we had a Honda Odyssey at the time. And my father-in-law was um, driving with my mother-in-law and my kids, and they were going to this park. They were about an hour away from their house. And uh, they were on the highway, and they started to hear a noise in the wheel well in my vehicle. And so they get off the highway, and, and one of the um, brakes, the front brakes, broke. It just one of the bolts came out of the caliper, and the whole thing just shifted, and it was just, like, clunking through the wheel well. And so he pulls over to the side of the road, and he calls me up, and he says, yeah, you're in trouble. He goes, your vehicle's broken. I'm going to have to call a tow truck. I don't know what's going on, the whole thing. And I was like, oh, man, you know, okay, uh, what are you going to do? You got the kids, you know. He's like, I don't know, the whole thing. So I, I hang up, and I, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, please, I pray that you'd help do, do something in this whole thing. He called me back an hour later, and he said, you got someone looking out for you. And I go, why? What happened? He goes, well, he goes, it just so happened that we pulled over, and where we pulled over, there was a guy sitting in his lawn in a lawn chair and he was just staring at us the whole time while we were sitting there and he said and after about 20 minutes of us trying to figure out what we were doing he gets up out of his lawn chair he's an older guy and he comes to the street and he goes what's going on and he says i explained it to him and he's the guy says well he goes i'm a retired mechanic wait here and he goes to the garage he gets a jack he has the parts he fixes the entire thing and he won't take a dime for for the whole thing and they, go, they get going on down the road. And he calls me, you, you got someone working out for you. And I'm going, thank you, Lord. You know, just the providence of God to orchestrate in the daily life in such a way that, that things just work out. And it's all the time. Just not many months ago, had a situation at my house where, you know, we had a clogged laundry line. It backed up into the house. It was the same weekend that I had to do two other brake jobs on, on, on the cars to get them going again. I was repairing a log splitter that someone had gave to me that needed. And so there's like all this going on. And it's like, can anything else go wrong? I'm putting the log splitter back together in my garage. And my son Rocky, who's with me, looks up and he goes, look, dad. And in the ceiling, there's a pipe leaking, dripping. And I went, oh, <laughs> and so I said, all right. So, so I go and this was Providence, okay, go in through into the other side of the basement where my plumbing things are, and when I get in there, the blue tank, you know, the, the, the pressure tank that from the well is exploded, and it's bursting all over the room. Now, you say, can things get worse? That actually wasn't bad. <laughs> because if the leak hadn't been there, then I wouldn't have seen the blue tank exploding, and it would have kept exploding for a long time because I don't go in that room very often, you know. But the fact that there was a leak in the pipe was actually the grace of God. Now, it's Sunday night. It's 9 o'clock. Where do you get a well tank at Sunday night, on Sunday night at 9 o'clock? So I made one phone call to a guy I know in the church who works for, um, he works for water in Hyde Park, you know, whatever, and so I come and I say, hey, do you have any ideas where I can, where I can get a water tank at 9 o'clock? And he goes, I'll, I'll call you back if I can help you. 
So he calls me back in like a half an hour, 9.30, and he says, all right, go to this address in Hyde Park, and he says, and maybe it'll work out. <laughs> so I get in the car, I get in the car with Rocky, and we drive to this thing. It's in Hyde Park, but it's in the middle of nowhere. We're on this back road. We drive up this long driveway. It's like going into the middle of the woods. There's a gate and a barn behind the gate. There's no lights, and sitting right there in front of the gate is a cardboard box with a brand new well tank in it. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, who's going to jump out of the woods and kill us now, you know? <laughs> so I go and I, I put this thing in. And, and you know, I, I you know, put it all back together and, and the whole thing. And I'm going like, God, you know, you're so good. Because sometimes, you know, we, get, we can be so frustrated because of these things that are going on and we think it's so crazy, but in the middle of it, you're walking with us through it and you're working it out and you're showing your presence to be real in our lives. It happens all the time. And it happens to you all the time. Every day, the providence of God is working in our lives. The issue is that we fail to recognize it because either we're not listening to God or we're not connecting what God is speaking with what's happening right in front of us or we're not contemplating it long enough to put the things together and recognizing it and thus it's happening but we're missing it because we're looking in the wrong places. Well, if God's going to show up in my life, it's going to be something miraculous. It's not going to be clothed in the familiar. If God is going to speak to me, it's going to be this apparition from heaven. It's not going to come through the person I'm talking to on the telephone. And because we're not looking for him in the moment by moment, we're missing him in the big picture of what he's doing in our everyday lives. One more thing, just to crystallize and encapsulate this for you, and then we're finished. I want to read you one verse from Mark chapter 14. Because it really answers the question, how do we recognize providence? How do I recognize providence within my life? Jesus had told Peter, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, it'll never happen, Lord. And it says in verse 72 that the second time the cock crew, and it says that Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crows twice, you shall deny me thrice. And it says that when he thought thereon, he wept. Now you can circle that verse because that verse defines recognition of providence. The word of Jesus had come to Peter that you will deny me. God had spoken. Then the circumstance unfolded. The rooster crowed the second time. And it says that when Peter thought on it, it provoked a response in him. And the response fittingly for him was that he went out and he wept. There was the word. There was the circumstance. There was the thought on it. There was the collection of the word of God. There was the connection of the circumstance. There was the collaboration or the concentrated moment when he sat with God and realized that what he said came to pass and it stirred up in him a response, faith, action. He moved because he knew that what he heard was actually from God. So how do we recognize providence in our lives? Here it is. It's the ABCs of providence. You ready for it? Always be collecting. A, B, C. Always be collecting. That means collecting the word of God. Whether it be a daily walk in the scriptures, 
or whether it be a daily interaction with him, fellowship with him, listening to what God is pressing upon your heart, how he is maybe pulling or prodding you, monitoring your desires, your ambitions and drives, and listening for what the Spirit of God is stirring up inside, collecting data from God, in a sense, his word. Then, number two, always be connecting. Now, paying attention in my everyday life. What's going on today? What happened? Who did I talk to? Who am I talking to right now? God, might you be in this conversation? There's an interruption, something that I didn't plan today. God, is that you? Does that have something to do with how you're moving me, how you're leading me? You're connecting the circumstance with what he has spoken. And then number three, always be collaborating. That is the part where you bring it back now around. And you say, what is he saying? What's happening? What am I to do? Now, what am I to do? And that's how we recognize providence within our lives. And so um, next week, we're going to close out this series. Last study is called Connection Lost, Overcoming a Poor Connection. What do we do when we feel like we have just detached or we can't hear what is going on in this horrible blessed thing called the silence of God. Let's close tonight together, shall we? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for for the truth that you lay out before us. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you so so faithfully meet with us when we're not looking or when we're not expecting or, or even when we don't deserve it. And what we're asking for tonight, Lord, is that you would open our understanding And that you'd open our our eyes of faith, Lord, that we wouldn't depend upon things that are seen, but that we would learn how to walk with you through and in the things that are unseen. So God, would you help us? Would you open our understanding, oh Lord? And I pray, Father, that we would just be enriched in our walk with you, that we would know you more and more as we see you working in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.